Um, whew, didn't think I was going to cry. I <laughs> Sorry, really I know this, this is this is uh, that's why I when you said people were excited that I was coming on the podcast, <laughs> do they know what we're going to talk? We're talking about it's, grief, people. Excited maybe is the wrong word, but like, <laughs> I honestly, I actually don't think it's the wrong word. I do think yeah. people were legitimately excited because I think, yeah. I think you're right. I think we don't talk about grief enough as a society. And welcome to another episode of Finding Mr. Height, the podcast. I'm Allie, back with my co-host Rourke. Rourke, how are you doing today? You know those things that you can you get them as um, they often come as gifts with purchase or tra- like travel size stuff. All like little things. You know how they're often marked like not individual, not for individual sale. <laughs> yes. Okay, I have a question. Uh huh. Do you think can I, as an individual human? buy like a catering carafe of coffee? Yes. Amazing. Because <laughs> I need <laughs> that. Um, Like, first of all, you could do that at like any Starbucks. Okay, great. Yeah. I'm like, seriously, am I deranged? I kind of want it. <laughs> That's a lot of coffee. I know. I know. My friend, I was talking to a friend and she, her recommendation, re-caffeine consumption, so to eat less to, or to consume fewer liquids, was to eat um, espresso beans. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. I also just think there's like diminishing returns at some point with that Gotta much, be. right? Like I, I don't I don't think it would be helpful at a certain point. Fair enough. Fair enough. Anyways, um, I've made it to Dallas, my home for the month. Hooray. When does your um, Airbnb start? It started yesterday. I went in. So my friend Amy and I were supposed to fly together. She was asked to speak on an in, speak on a panel in person on Wednesday. Oh, yeah. And so, okay. um, so very spontaneous. Like a person dropped out, and so she was like never supposed to be a part of it. Um, and they tapped her to fill the spot, and so obviously she has to That's do cool. that. Yeah. Oh, super cool. So she's gonna do that and then come here. Um, so. I've mentioned – I actually edited it out because it was getting a little long. But um, I think I've mentioned offhand potentially that she and I are doing this, the joint double dating profile. Yeah. You t- we talked about it on, on the regular pod because remember then we talked about it on the Patreon, but it was before yes, we had talked about exactly. it on the regular pod. Yeah, Yes. Yeah. Things were confused. Things were misunderstood. Yeah. And the people, <laughs> the people yes. were really confused. <laughs> yeah. So – I am hitting some interesting problems that, like, it will be interesting. So we have her burner phone. Right. And so what we're doing, we're, like, handing it back and forth. Okay. So, like, a lot of people basically claim to not have friends. That's where we're at. We're, oh, like, a lot of I'm guys mass- are like, I would like yes. to do this, but I don't have friends. Oh, interesting. Yes. And oh. I have now, like, a guy is like, well, how about I just come out with the two of you? No. No. And the way I said it was – I actually – I thought of it was right off the, the cuff. I said it Is right off the said? cuff, but I was proud of myself for kind of the way I phrased it where I said, that feels a little too bachelor to me. This is to get to know people, learn about new like fun spots in Dallas. This is not to put my friend and I in competition with each other for one guy. Yeah, hard pass on that. Yeah. 
like that's happening where they're saying like I don't have a friend, but like why not just me and you two? And it's like no, nope. we're not doing that. And then, and I get this. There is, there is a question of like I, I mean I don't look dissimilar, honestly. Like it's not like right. I, I personally don't believe that one of us is majorly your type and one of us isn't. Got it. So it's not, yeah. That so somebody could be into both of you. Not that that wouldn't be true if you didn't look alike, but like, it's even more possible. It, of course, but yeah. it's not like jarring. Where I think that like if you saw the photo of us, you would think kind of like, oh, like which is like if you were just coming across it as a normal profile, you would see our joint photo to start and say like, oh, I wonder which one she is. Keep scrolling, whatever. But. I don't know. Maybe I'm delusional. I'm like, I don't know that someone would be like disappointed to know who's who. And to that right. to that end, I still don't know what people are looking for, but I am certainly getting a lot of like, well, who's who? And like, which one are you? Who am I talking oh. to right now? Like, and like, I'm like, we're honest. Like, oh, it's like so-and-so, whatever. But I, I can't figure out like, and I'm sure it's different for different people, right? This is a sort of a yeah. super question. No, I'm th- I'm thinking about it. I maybe I'm giving people too much the benefit of the doubt, mm-hmm. and I'm sure not everybody is thinking this. I feel like I would just want to know who I'm talking to. I think so too. Just because I want to know who I'm talking to, yes. not because I have a preference of one over the other. Oh, totally. Yeah, because when you're talking to somebody on Bumble, you're like picturing them like you're you're like starting to establish a rapport right and you're like oh i'm talking to this person like i think i would feel weird if i was talking to an inanimate being yeah that like could be anybody or could be you know either of these two people so that makes sense to me so i've talked a little bit on the pod about how i've been trying to extend my damp january into into future months And I have really been enjoying recess mocktails as a way to have what feels like a fancy drink at home, but without the alcohol. Yeah. And also, it's nice to have something in your fridge that just has a little bit of flavor. Totally. And they're they're delicious. They're made with real fruit, sweetened with agave, and again, 0% alcohol. So just a nice, nice little flavorful drink. That is a little little play on our favorites here. They got a bunch of great flavors. My personal favorite is the Recess Watermelon Mojito. I actually like to garnish it like it's an actual cocktail. Like I put it in a coupe glass, feel it all fancy, garnish it with a little sprig of mint. It is delicious. And my favorite is the Recess Ginger Lime Mule. I'm a ginger gal. And what I love also, not too sweet. Perfect amount of just a little little sweet treat. They're absolutely delicious, and you can get 15% off recess mocktails now at takearecess.com slash FMH, so you can enjoy your favorite cocktails without the consequences. In solo dating news, two people that I matched with in LA on my personal phone, not the not our burner. <laughs> not the burner. I have now been unmatched twice for refusing to give my Instagram. Wow. And not even in an obvious way. In a week, like, so I was communicating with a man where I think I sent you some screenshots where fully deranged uh, to the point where it's like, I don't know if he's lying. Like, he might be a liar, which is less funny. Yeah, that guy was odd. You, But you were just entertaining it because you thought it was funny. You weren't actually, yeah. Yes. I asked him what his parents did because he said he spent his puberty at a boarding school in the mountains. And so I was like, what did your like parents do to send you to a boarding school? Like what, what did they do for work? And he goes, they're retired. I was like, okay, no, no, no. What, what, well, what did they do? 
And he said that they were they were dentists and ran a research lab. And I said, what's happening at the lab? What kind of research you doing? And he said, that's where they grow the teeth. He, This guy was so weird. Yeah. I love in this conversation. He finally asks, he says, hey, what's your Instagram? And I, I'm not giving this, n- not after this. And so I yeah. said, and so I said back, oh, I don't have one. Like, I don't want him to have it, period. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, oh, I don't have like, social media, whatever. Because um, it's actually hard to find me on Instagram because I only have my first name. There's no, like, same. Yeah. Not this one. <laughs> to be clear, my personal Instagram is really hard to find. Yeah. And so I knew he wasn't going to unmatch. Wow. Yeah. And then another guy, hey, big question. What's the question? I asked the question. He answers the question and then said, what's your IG? Let's chat there. No. There's no need to. for that. There's no need no. for that. We don't need to take this to a separate app. So that one I didn't I didn't lie about my possession of Instagram. I just said like, oh, like I don't like to chat on Instagram. We can either continue here or frankly you can text me. And I gave him my number unmatch. Wow. That I mean, that sounds shady. Like that sounds like somebody with Something shady is, intent. I agree. That's fucking weird. That's weird. I know that that happens a lot. The reason is because people ask me about it a lot. I yeah. know that people want to chat on Instagram or Snapchat for the youngs. Yeah. And not Bumble. I have never one time been asked to move to another app like that. Yeah, it's dumb. I've been asked for my handle. Like people have asked me for my Instagram and I say no. Right. But the idea of let's chat there, No, what? It does, that doesn't make any sense. Like I, I suppose that it might be because they will get the push notifications there. They're in that app more often, et cetera. But like texting would solve that same need. Do you – I have gotten before via Instagram – this is very millennial, I think, just not to use Snap maybe. I've gotten like those expiring photos of men's areas on Instagram. <gasps> I've never. So I think that that is – that could be a use – that could be a use now that we're talking about it. Yeah. And that could be his motive. I think we I think we talked about this in the unsolicited one that was comically one of our very first episodes. <laughs> Um, I've never gotten an unsolicited dick pic. Wild. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's interesting though that so many people are saying that they don't have – It's. I would assume they're saying I don't have single friends, not I don't have friends. Yeah, I guess. We're we're swiping young though. Like we're, try, like we're trying yeah. to skew it as to like our criteria are not what they would typically be. Right. Like what fucking 29-year-old doesn't have a friend? Yeah, I mean, maybe it's that they don't have a friend that they would, like, want to bring with them. Like, maybe they're like, my friends suck. I don't know. But it just seems, like, seems odd. Yeah. One guy was like, how will you, like, how will you choose, like, when you both like me? Ew. Yeah, exactly. One aspect of the, like, you know, what about what, when both of you like me thing, that was one aspect that was difficult about grouper that I imagine will be difficult about this too when you guys do go out is that like, so for example, I mentioned previously that on the on one of the groupers, I've been on three groupers and on one of them, one of my friends is now married to one of those guys. Right. That guy was the only eligible prospect of the three of them when mm-hmm. we went out. 
And it was immediately clear this didn't turn into an awkward thing because it was immediately they were like magnets and they were just talking. It was basically the other four of us on a double date because the two of them were just so connected immediately. And now they're married. So it makes sense. Um, God bless them. But on other groupers that I've went on, it's been like awkward to be like, okay, what are going to be the seating arrangements at first? Oh, no. The guy that I like's over there. You know, that whole shuffle when you're not actually matched up. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that maybe we need to do a better job of it because I don't think this will be well suited to any type of sit down thing no. or something like that. No. Yeah, it needs to be really casual. Like, hey, my friends and I like this bar. Let's just all meet there. You know, who can, that is what we're talking about. It's not, this yeah. does not have to be a formal thing. No, like let's like gather around a high top table at a bar. Exactly. Standing room only. I'm almost wondering if like we are – we are probably – I'm thinking of this like as I'm saying it. This is not a well-baked thought. But we might be better off, honestly, like going on individual dates and then being like let's go to a second location and like all meet up. I actually really like that idea. I think that that might be the move. Yeah. And you could tr- you could you don't have to pick because you have this burner phone where you have your dual profile. You also each have your individual phones. Right, where we you will can do both. Say we're in our current locations. Yeah. Right. You could do both. You could like simultaneously search for individual dates that could turn into doubles yeah. while searching for doubles. That's true. That's true. Okay, maybe that's a good pivot. Anyway. I like that idea. Yeah, I'll keep you posted. Hopefully, like, I want silly things to happen just so I have a story. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. I went on I went on a double date with my friend who – this was la- two years ago now maybe. I had started finding Mr. Hype, but I believe it was when it was still, like, just on Instagram. Mm-hmm. It was my friend who had been seeing this guy from Bumble. She, my friend is 24. She's on my volleyball team. She'd been seeing this guy from Bumble and they were like going to go on their third date. And he was like, hey, like a friend just asked me if I wanted to meet up. Like I I could totally say no to him unless you have a single friend who like might be down for a last minute hang and then we can all hang out. And love. Yeah. And so she texted me and I wrote back and was like, that sounds super fun. How old is the guy that you're seeing? Great question. And he was, I want to say 29 or 30. This was two years ago, so I was 32, mm-hmm. 33. So I was like, okay, so his friend yeah, is probably yeah. not 24. Like, that's fine. Um, and so then we all went out, and I ended up seeing that guy again one more time. Okay. Allie. Yeah. You had a virtual date. You had a natal chart reading. Yes. But what does the future hold? Um, well, also, I had a, a psychic reading this past week that I haven't talked about on the regular pod because that that's was true. only we on deep the dived, We deep dived on the Patreon. I feel like – I won't go is into like super Yeah, I'm trying to think, is there a detail. way to hit the highs? And then I want to hear about, because I, I do want to hear about the new one. Yeah. So so I I ended up seeing a psychic for a reading on Tuesday. Um, and I loved it so much that I decided to do another reading with her, which was like a full natal chart reading, um, which was this past Saturday, which was like a two and a half hour thing. Um, and so across those two... She really ended up kind of combining it in a sense because like during my natal chart reading, she referenced a lot back to the five-month outlook that we had done. That's great. Kind of like, yeah, it was really cool. We talked about my life path. I think the the biggest takeaway for me 
is that she feels really strongly and she felt this way before she knew really anything about me by the way she feels really strongly that my purpose in life is the home and the family mm-hmm. which doesn't necessarily mean my home and family although she does think that she sees family as being a huge part of my life which it is a huge part of my life and yeah. she sees that continuing the bigger meaning was also helping other people with their home and their family. Yes. Which is like what I do here. Mm-hmm. Which she didn't know during my psychic reading. Obviously during that reading that came up, but she didn't know that. I booked I booked her through, although it was sort of in pursuit of research for Finding Mr. Height and for potentially the pod, I booked it through my personal yeah. so that she wouldn't have – she wouldn't really have any information about that. Um and she just kept going on about, you know, my ability to communicate with people and emote with people and she wants me to be writing. And it was just really interesting. She just felt really strongly that the full-time thing that I'm doing currently is not what I'm meant to be doing. And how does that feel to you when you hear that? It resonates with me because I I have felt throughout the my Finding Mr. Height journey that although I really love my job and I'm I'm very good at it, my retail job, it it doesn't fulfill me. Mm-hmm. And this does. Gotcha. And I I also think I'm good at this. And so like it's, you know, it's not like it's not like there's a there, it's not like I but it, let me try to say. It is tricky because it's not like I hate my job. Right, of course. It's not like those stories that you hear about entrepreneurs who were like so fucking miserable in their corporate jobs. Right. And then like went out on their own. That's not me. Yeah. So it it was sort of affirming while at the same time kind of just posing a lot of questions. Yeah, it um, reminds – so I think that this experience would remind me a lot of – on Friends, when Phoebe tells Rachel that the test is that her pregnancy test is negative, mm. and Rachel gets very upset, mm-hmm. and Phoebe says, "I was lying. It's positive. You're pregnant." And Rachel's like, "Well, that's a risky game." <laughs> um, and so, because I, because in thinking about it, it's because I obviously I know you've thought about making this your full time and yeah, like not the podcast specifically, but like you're finding Mr. Height portfolio and yeah. like basically viewing that like expand expanding that as necessary because it's now full time etc whereas i know if a psychic told me like what I, I would be like fuck off <laughs> like hang up the call you know like because i cuz because i feel so good and so i think it's it, it's just an interesting kind of regardless it can show you where your like heart is sitting you know, yeah. I mean, p- part of it made me like believe her more because she said something that was aligned with where my heart is sitting. Mm. And like she to your point, she could have said that to you and had a completely different response or to anybody. Oh, for sure. I'm I'm just saying it's an interesting like no matter what she had said, your reaction tells you something. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um and she also had some like weirdly freaky, which I went into in more detail on the on the Patreon, but some like weirdly freaky predictions that mm-hmm. some of which were already true that she had no way of knowing. 
one of which was like five minutes into our call and I was just all in on her for the for the rest of time. Yeah. Um, but something related to so she sees 2022 as a year of transformation for me, a year of reflection, a transformation, year, as they say. In yes, sports. a rebuilding year. Yes, exactly. Um, so that 2023 can be the year I go to the Super Bowl. Yeah. To that end, we talked about my love life and it was interesting. I can't remember if I said this on the Patreon. She asked, are you seeing anybody right now that you care about? Mm-hmm. And I said, yes. And she said, is it serious? And I said, no, it's it's very early. I think it could be serious. but And that's like basically all the information that I gave her. And she said, okay, good. Because if you were seeing somebody really seriously, I would be telling you that it's not your person because this year is so going to be so transformative for you. But what she said, and then we talked about it more in my natal chart reading, she talked about how right now I need to just be watching the movie of my life Mm -hmm. and like reflecting and journaling. I actually started journaling about it last night. I wrote three pages like out of nowhere. Cool. Like typed, typed three pages out of nowhere. You were just drawn like a moth to the flame. Yeah. Writer to the pen. Always loved writing, so like it makes sense, but I've never been a journaler. Also, Um, um, any listeners that would like to join me in Skeptics Corner, DM me. (laughs) I'm not saying, I'm not saying like I believe everything the psychic is saying. I understand. Um, But like, I think I appreciated her perspective, I think mostly because of what you said in terms of it revealing how I'm feeling. Yeah. And it giving me more reflection points. To think about. Yeah. In in a very similar way as like when my therapist says things and it sort of helps me think about how I'm feeling. Yeah. Um, but this was more rooted in – because through my, my natal chart, we talked about, you know, different aspects of my personality and how, you know, I am on the one hand somebody who appreciates order and structure, but on the other hand, somebody who wants to do things my own way and – can sometimes be a little bit chaotic in that, mm-hmm. but I'm doing it in my own order and structure. Yeah. Um, and so, and she also said that I am somebody who learns through doing. Like I'm, I'm not going to actually learn something unless I have tried it. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not just going to like believe something is true just because it logically makes sense. Sure. Um. And so that's what she was kind of saying about watching the movie. Like right now, she's like, I really just want you to sit back and just observe him, the rower. Yeah. And do your own thing. Be dating other people. You know, I'm starting my matchmaker up again. I am I went on a virtual date on Saturday, which I'll talk about. But like really just sit back and watch it. Yeah. And evaluate how it makes you feel. Enjoy the ride. Mm-hmm. So, but it was cool. Like we took my natal chart reading was really cool. We just talked a lot more about, you know. Things that, that might be hard for me and ways that I can kind of, you know, like optimize for different aspects of my personality. And it was interesting. I That's it. great. Yeah. So, so A, how has watching the rower been going? And B, how is the virtual date? Or switch them, whichever you want to talk about first. Watching the rower is not much of an update. Um, I've literally been watching because I haven't seen him. Um, or not literally been watching, rather. I have not literally been watching because I haven't seen him. But – we didn't talk for much of this week, which mm-hmm. is very odd. It was the longest we'd ever gone without texting. Was there any explanation on his part? No. But I also didn't text him. No, I know. I was just curious. So like, 
Yeah, but I but what I mean is like I don't think there would be. I would have to be explaining myself too. I understand. Um, I just feel like he is usually in the past has been initiating texts with you most days. And so I would expect something that said, hey, sorry, this week has been X or something like that. Yeah. So and then for so for the last like three or four days, we've been talking more. We don't have plans to see each other. Mm -hmm. Um, It's been a little over a week since I saw him. And I'm just I'm like. I'm observing that. I'm, you know, it doesn't feel great, but at the same time, it's become less present for me. Yeah. It's not something that that's like occupying my thoughts very much at all, except when I purposefully think about it, like right now when we're talking about it. Right. Do you um, feel like your interest is waning? A little bit, but not in a way that makes me want to like end things. Right. Because like if he, let's say you hang out this weekend and he said – like, I'm there. I want to be exclusive. Like, are you still there? I've thought about that. I think that if and when – so first of all, I don't think that's going to happen. But. I, I agreed. This is fully thought experiment yeah. vibes. But if I, – I have thought about it though. Like, if he said that, I think that I would need a very in-depth conversation about why. Mm-hmm. What made you not – because we didn't have that in-depth – much of an in-depth conversation about it when he said he wasn't ready. Like mm-hmm. he said that, you know, he feels really early in dating, et cetera. Like I I got it. We didn't need to talk about it at nauseum. Yeah. But I think I would want to talk about what made you not feel ready on New Year's Day. What is different now? Like tell me about those that feeling change. Tell me about how you're feeling now. And I, I – don't know if I know that I'm not in the exact same place that I was on New Year's because I thought he was in the same place as me and and he wasn't and so that you know threw me a little bit yeah so I would I would want to have more in depth conversations about it gotcha for sure but again I don't think that's what's happening <laughs> but I think I I want to continue I I don't want to cut things off is is where my head is at okay because I. I basically want to continue to see how I feel about it while exploring other things. And I don't think, based on my experience of my virtual date, which I'll talk about in a second, I don't think that he is preventing me emotionally from liking other people. Great. And as long as that's true, yeah, then I feel totally to comfortable seeing him. Yeah. yeah. Like that if that weren't true, then then that we would be in a very we would be having a very 100%. different conversation right now. Um so, my virtual date, um, it was really fun. It was probably the best virtual date that I've had. Damn. Including the Duke, for those who've been around Yeah, since the Duke. I was going to say, because he kind of set the bar, I think, for virtual dates. Yeah. It was just really easy. He, like, he asked a lot of really good questions, which I appreciated, because I think on a virtual date, it you has to be a little bit more. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Um, I think on a virtual date, there, there, it has to be a little bit more question based. Agreed. Like it's just a little bit harder to generate natural conversation with a stranger over FaceTime. Um, but I liked him. Uh, he is a long distance prospect. He lives very far away from me. How far is? What are we talking here? Over an hour. But like in New York. Yes. Oh, yes. He lives in New oh, York okay. City, but he lives he lives really far from me. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, and, honestly, and- when you made the joke on Patreon about Central Park, I was like, oh, the fact that he <laughs> thinks you're doing something in Central Park means this man lives far away from you. Yeah, yeah, he lives far. Um, he lives further than Central Park. Um, so we were supposed to go, we were actually supposed to go out in person. Um, we were supposed to go to dinner, um, on Saturday night in Manhattan and we were meeting halfway, even mm-hmm. though we were, I was going all the way into, that's how far away he lives, that I was going into Manhattan and that was meeting him halfway. Then there was a blizzard. Right. And it was supposed to be negative 11 that day in Wild. New York. Yeah. I did not leave the, I did not leave the home. So I texted him in the morning and was like, Hey, would you mind if we went to virtual whatever? And he was yeah. totally cool with it. So we like had drinks. I had wine. He had bourbon. And we chatted for like two hours. The only reason we hung up is because his phone was about to die, which is now – that is a good excuse to exit a virtual date. Yeah, let's take that forward. away from this. Yeah. And he I, – I, I don't think that he was using it as an excuse. But like what was also – what I also would recommend if you are going to use that is he had like – Maybe 30 minutes before that happened, so maybe an hour and a half in, he was like – there was a pop-up and he was like, oh, my, my phone's at 10%. Mm. And so then when it was about to die, I was like, yeah, that that checks out. Like you, your phone was at 10%. Um, I don't think he was lying about uh, it. Yeah, but, no, I'm, I'm teasing. But just a good note because I do think that virtual dates are much harder to end even if they're going well. Like there's yeah. less of a natural end point. So it was really good. That being said – I haven't heard from him. And I think the reason might be because we had a really in-depth conversation about my dating coaching and my social media presence. Oh, boy. And he – which I always do on a first date. I always tell them. He had the most trepidation about it of anyone I've ever told. Oh, how interesting. But he's he's in his early 40s. So I, I wonder if that had something to do with it too in terms of his just relationship to social media and Definitely. how much he shares in general. He So his first reaction was like – so, okay. He thought it was very cool what I do and the support that I'm able to give people and the community that I've built, et cetera, et cetera. Like he thought that was awesome for me. Like he was extremely supportive. Where he was more trepidatious was about his own involvement. Yes. Um, which is totally fair. I mean, he can feel that way. But um, he said to me something that that was really interesting. He said, you know, this is – it's like, thank you for for telling me this. You know, the one of the reasons that it gives me a little bit of pause is because it requires that I put a lot more trust in you right away than most people that I would date. Oh, interesting. Which is true. But it's like that – it isn't a framing that I had thought of before. Yeah, agreed, agreed. So he said that, and you know, I said I, I totally, I appreciate that. Um, that's that's true, because although you know, I I assured him that I do not reveal any identifying information about the people that I date. You know, like, and I said to him, I said, you know, like all that my followers know currently about right now is that I'm going on a date. And he at first was like, oh, oh, I don't know. Which my reaction was like, okay. Dude, I, uh, settle down. I'm going on a date is a just, mm, we're going to have to be cool with that. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> and then he got like, he got there. Like that was like the very beginning of the conversation. But like, 
he also at one point like made a joke about me being like a Carrie Bradshaw. And so then I was like, well, that is a flattering comparison. I do want to make it clear that she was a sex columnist. Yes. And I am not. Yes. Because that could be an an aspect that would make people uncomfortable if I was, if I were out here talking about, you know, my sex life and even if it were anonymous, like that, I could understand somebody not being comfortable with that. Absolutely. Um, And I am one of those people who is not comfortable with that. (laughs) I mean, so yeah, this is, this is the uncomfortable podcast on that regard. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We don't talk about that. So so anyway, so we continued to talk about it and he said that and I and I said, you know, it's like that's that is true. Like I he is he is correct that if I wanted to I'm going to put ruin his life in quotes. But like if I wanted to West Elm Caleb him, yeah, I could. Right. I am not I'm obviously not going to. Correct. And anybody who has seen my content would know that I have never and no. will never give any identifying details about anyone, even my most terrible ex. Yeah. But he doesn't know that. True. He doesn't know me from a hole in the wall. Yes. But then I said to him, I said, this is making me think as well, though, that you are very true, putting more trust in me than the average person that you're going on a first date with. By telling you that I have this platform, I am also putting more trust in you. Very nice. Than the average person. In that... I didn't give him the handle. He asked a couple times, jokingly, like, what was that? What, what was the Instagram again? <laughs> like, kind of way. Yeah. He could find it, though, very easily. I didn't yeah. tell him that. But, like, he could. I don't think he will. I don't, I don't think his, he p- planned to. Maybe he did. And that's why I haven't heard from him, but whatever. If he were to find it, he would have way more insight into who I am as a person, my dating history, my needs, my thoughts, my insecurities, my anxieties. Yeah. Like, he would know way more about me than I do about him. Yes. Than he does about anybody else that he's been on, like, actually multiple dates with, probably. Totally. So the trust is going both ways. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Um, so regardless of what happens with him, I am really glad that we had that conversation because I think it kind of – it framed this whole thing as it relates to my dating life in a new light for me and mm-hmm. kind of like helped me think about having that conversation in the future in in you know more nuanced ways as well. Yeah. That's great. It's interesting. So Will you reach out to him? I don't think so. Okay. Mostly because of how far away he lives. That's fair. I wonder if he's thinking about that. I mean, there's a reality where he could be thinking about that too. He honestly might. He didn't know where – he knew I lived in Brooklyn, but he didn't know how far into Brooklyn I lived until the call. I like it. Yeah. So that's it. Okay. So this week's Weird or Nah is they're attending their ex's wedding. I mean, this is weird. (laughs) I don't even like you to stay friends with – can you imagine in my situation? You would think so. Where I don't like you to stay friends with your ex, you've allegedly not been, and then all of a sudden allegedly. a fucking wedding invite comes to the door. I'm like, what? I mean, I would hope, I would hope that you knew that they were still in touch with their ex when that invitation yeah. came in. Good Yikes. lord. Anyway, so okay, I don't like this at all. People have to think this is weird. I'm gonna say 75 weird, 25 nah. You are way weirder than you think you are. What? No, who are these people? This isn't normal. <laughs> Guys, justify yourselves. 
God. So it was, it was, it did skew weird, but it was really close. It was 55-45. Oh, get out. Who are these like evolved? No, no. Ugh. I'm fine with this. Why? It is, it's super context dependent. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. There are absolutely contexts and circumstances where I would not find this acceptable. And all of the people, not all the vast majority of the responses acknowledge that, that like there are obviously times when going to an ex's wedding would be very fucking weird depending yeah. on your history of the person. But most of the people that said that this is fine said like that's very mature. That's a green flag that they can maintain relationships like that. You know, if they're friends, it would make sense that they go to each other's weddings. So I think actually that is my objection to it where – a wedding invite implies the relationship that you've been having up until that moment. And that's the whole part that I'm not cool with. Right. Like if if we, if I posted a weird or not that said they're friends with their ex, you would vote weird. It, exactly. No, uh, I would yeah. say it's not weird, but it, it's a fucking deal breaker. <laughs> I mean, that would that would mean you would vote weird though. If you had to pick weird or not, you have to pick one. This is binary. You have to pick one. You would pick weird. For me personally, I'd pick weird. For the world, yeah. I'd pick nah. So yeah, so you object to the entire premise. I do, I do. From which this weird or not stems. But like I I could see, I mean, we're not friends, but I don't think it would be weird if I went, if the coach invited me to his wedding. He will not, we are not friends. Yeah. But like uh, because of the history there and the fact that we are totally cool, like it, I'm only cool fine. if it's like a high school boyfriend who, like, you grew up next door, and like your families are so far. I need some extenuating so fucking circumstances. That's so specific. Yeah, if you lived more than two blocks away, doesn't count. <laughs> yeah, I I've never dated somebody where this would have been the case. I'm trying to think if like I dated anybody where like they were close enough with an ex that they would have gone to a wedding. Yeah. I think this is not weird. In the right circumstances. There are absolutely circumstances where it would be fucking awful. Yeah. So. Oh, you people. Wild. Our Wild. listeners are too evolved. In, um, Ali, indicative of my tiredness is the fact that, like, work is in ridiculousness. But um, you had to – I missed you. You had to fly solo with our guest. And so will you intro – like, I'm, I'm kind of excited to listen to it myself, but um, as, like, a pure listener. But tell me about um, Krista, who you spoke to the other day. Yeah, we missed you. I talked to Krista St. Germain um, a couple days ago. She is the host of the Widowed Mom podcast. She – I won't um, spoiler her story because she will tell it herself shortly, but she is a widowed mom, as the name of the podcast might suggest. And we had a really good and emotional conversation about dating after partner loss and a little bit about navigating that with kids, but mostly focused on partner loss. Um, I cried at one point, so that was fun. Oh my gosh, how vulnerable. That's so nice. <laughs> good for it you. Like, it felt very cathartic, actually. Yeah, uh, I love that. I, I'm excited for the listeners to hear our interview with Krista. Great. Listen up, guys. If you haven't heard yet, we're coming to the DC Comedy Loft for another live podcast Thursday, March 21st. Get your tickets. We are 
I think over halfway sold out already. Well over halfway sold out. So get your tickets if you want to come experience some magic live. We want to meet you. We want to talk to you. We're going to have so much fun. And it's also Allie's birthday that week. It is my birthday that week. So, and my mom might be there. I'm excited. You can go to findingmrhyde.com slash live to find an easy link also in our bios to get those tickets. And we are going to have an after party afterwards where we can really meet and greet, talk to everybody somewhere in the area. Yeah. So make sure you come DC Comedy Loft Thursday, March 21st. And if you want to check out some stand up, I'm going to be there all weekend. So Friday and that Saturday, I'll be doing stand up shows. Start swiping on Hinge, bring a date, have a good time. And you'll, you can come and meet Allie's mom, which we still have some spots left on our Portugal trip. And a little update on that. A few of you reached out to us about, hey, I want to come either, unfortunately, I don't have my mom anymore, or I want to come with my aunt. I want to come with my sister. I just want to come with a friend. The trip is officially open to anybody that would like to come, as long as you don't mind. Half the trip being moms and daughter combos. Everybody's excited to come. Doesn't matter. You are welcome to join. Travel with us. It's going to be so, so fun. You can also check that out at findingmrhight.com slash podcast. If you have any questions about it, feel free to reach out. We're happy to answer anything. We're just so excited to be there with our moms and with you. Yep. Next October, October 4th through 10th. Check it out. Come travel with us too. back with Krista. Hi, Krista. How are you? Welcome to Finding Mr. Hyde, the podcast. I am well and excited to be here. So excited to have you. Quick note for the listeners that Rourke did have a little bit of a work emergency pop up, so it'll just be you and me chatting. We will miss her dearly, of course, but I'm excited to talk to you. Likewise. Yeah. So, you know, we did a little bit of an intro for the listeners right as we brought this segment in, but I thought we could hear from you too. I'd love to hear, you know, a little bit more about your background, kind of how you got into this whole space, and we can kind of go from yeah. there. Sure. Yeah. I got into this by complete accident, like literally an accident. So um, I never intended to do grief work at all. About five and a half years ago, I was coming home from a trip with my husband, and I had a flat tire, and we pulled over to the side of the interstate, and he went to change the tire on my car. And as he was getting the tire out of my, the back of my trunk, a driver came up behind us, who we later found out had both meth and alcohol in his system and didn't see us, and smashed right into the back of Hugo's car and trapped him in between his car and mine. And less than a day later, he had died. He was gone. So oh I found myself, yeah, as you can imagine, like my whole life just kind of like exploded. I was 40 when it happened. And this was my second marriage. He was like my knight in shining armor. Like my first marriage kind of ended badly. And so he was like the redemption story. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was, it was really awful. And I found myself not knowing anything about grief and also realizing that everything I thought I knew wasn't accurate or helpful. And kind of in this place that I now refer to eventually as this grief plateau where I went to therapy, really helpful, loved my therapist, told my story enough times to actually get to the point where it felt real. And I realized he wasn't on a business trip. Right. But then you reach this place where a lot of people do where everybody's telling you you're so strong and you look like you're strong because you're keeping it together and you're back at work and people don't right. know what you're feeling on the inside, but you definitely aren't feeling strong. For me, I was feeling just really hollow and robotic and kind of like, shit, I think, I think my best days are actually behind me. And like the best 
is that I'm just going to like get used to this, right? But I'm probably never going to be as happy as I was with him. And ugh. <laughs> not a good place to be. So fortunately I found, I discovered life coaching at like this pivotal point when I really needed it. And, and I combined kind of the life coaching and then all of this research that I did on grief and also post-traumatic growth, which PS I had never heard of. Like I knew about post-traumatic stress, but I had no idea you could actually grow after trauma. And I was yeah. again, like, wait, wait, what are you talking about? And so when I got to a place where I did enough work on myself and I really realized, no, actually I love my life and I actually am happy. And, and I, you know, wasn't even dating at that point. Um, I really wanted to help other women do the same thing. And so that's what I do now is I run a group coaching program that's specifically for widowed moms. And I, I host a podcast called the widowed mom podcast. And that's my goal is to, to, I don't want widows or anyone settling for this crappy new normal that they didn't ask for. Right. I want them to be educated and I want them to know what's really possible and be genuinely happy after a loss. So yeah, here we are. Yeah, I mean, I I'm so sorry that you went through that, but that that's an incredible story of growth afterwards. Um, I I don't know, you probably don't know this, but my mom is a widowed mom, actually. Oh no, I didn't know that. Yeah, so my dad died three years ago. Oh wow, yeah, I'm sorry. Um, thank you. So all of that stuff that you were saying yeah. about you know, feeling like, am I ever going to be happy again? Was that my, was that the best? Like you said, are my best days behind me? Like, is that, was that the peak of my life? And now I'm just going to try yeah. to keep existing. Yeah. Like that is, that is very, very relatable to me in my mom's mm -hmm. journey. And, mm -hmm. and you know, in a way my own, but in a very different way. Um, but it's, it's incredible how you've kind of taken that and and turned it into this incredible resource. Thank you. Yeah, I honestly I can't imagine doing anything else now that it's what I do all the time, but I certainly <laughs> didn't have a goal. <laughs> you know, of of and in fact even when I had discovered life coaching at a certain point, I really thought I would be too sad to work with widows, but I just hadn't done enough of my own work and I hadn't gotten to the place where I now am, which is that I firmly believe that feelings are not problems, right? They're just experiences and we don't mm. need to change them or solve them. We just need to allow them. And so, yeah, I'm in a really different place than I was in those early days. Yeah. That's, and you have kids, I assume, based on the widow. Yeah, mom. I do. Yeah. My, at the time my daughter was 12 and my son was nine. And now I have a senior in high school and a freshman in high school. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. They're at, they're at fun spots. They are. And she's going to graduate <laughs> and go to, go to Costa Rica next fall. And yeah. So yeah. And that oh, can wow. be, you know, even more challenging depending on the age of your children. And, you know, for some women, it sounds like probably where your mom is perhaps where, you know, it can already be hard enough if your kids are out of the house and, you know, now you're kind of trying to figure out what life is like, not in that, that primary role of being a mom so much. And then you lose yeah. your spouse. And then now who am I? And yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, we will, I promise listeners we will not make this the me show, but but my my parents were 19 when they met. So, oh, yeah. you know, my mom is also grappling with like, that's the only person that she's ever mm -hmm. been with as an adult. Yep. Yeah. I, f I hear that all the time. Yeah. And they haven't dated in so long. And what's it like to date again? And you don't want to date again. You're just mad that the whole thing happened. You don't really want a different person and all of that. 
I remember, I remember the first time I went out on a, I didn't even know it was a date at the time, but the first time I went out with dinner with someone who I later realized he thought we were on a date. And afterwards (laughs) I was just so pissed off. I was just mad at everyone and everything, you know, because all I really wanted was you just want your old life back. You want the life you asked for. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's also, she jokes about the fact that she also sees men her age and thinks like, oh my God, he's so old. Because like she grew she old with my dad and so yeah. she like never had to – and I'm not saying she, – she describes herself as old. She is not. But like she grew old with him and so she's never yeah. had to look at a 65-year-old man as an attractive prospect because her previous 65-year-old man was the 19-year-old she met. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't see yourself as the age you actually are. You don't usually feel like you're that age. So yeah. No, I get it. Yeah. She and I were out for a walk when I was home for Christmas and we passed by this very attractive man that was like her age and who I assume was his son who was my age. And I we passed by them and I said, mom, that guy was checking you out. And she goes, the old one? (laughs) Uh, Mom. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, let's, I, I hate to tell you. <laughs> right. Let's do a, let's do a check here. But also he was very handsome. She was uh-huh. like, no. No. Well, hey, you know, she can go for the younger ones. It's fine. Whatever. Yeah. It was too funny. But so, but speaking about, you know, you mentioned you were out on your first, what you now know is a date. Like yeah. what, what did that process look like? Or what does that process look like for your clients that yeah. you know, getting to that point? You know, it's different for everybody. For me, I don't think I took the traditional path. I really did not want to date at all. And I did not date until, so I don't know, two and a half, three years after he died. I, I just, the, the, my, the interest in dating for me was about zero. It seemed yeah. like a hassle. I just didn't want to do it. Um, and, and so I didn't. And so by the time I was actually ready to date, I, I didn't date long. And I found someone that I adore and kind of happened pre-COVID. It was like right when COVID was, you know, starting to become a thing and went out on one date, went out on another date, and then COVID started (laughs) happening and we just went into a bubble and now we live together. So, you know, been together for a couple of years. But I, I think the reason it was so much different for me than it is for a lot of people is I got myself to a place where I didn't I really didn't need a relationship. I absolutely believed I was happy and totally content on my own. And a relationship felt like something fun to do. It felt like I was more interested in giving love to someone as opposed to filling what at one point felt like a very large void, right? Like I I filled the void myself first and then it just became lighthearted and fun. And that's not what I see happening a lot of times. Right. Yeah. 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 And – so how in that time when you were in that space, when you were trying to, you know, fill yourself up, how mm-hmm. did you stay hopeful that, you know, you were doing it in service of something? Well, I think what I started figuring out was that, you know, what I now teach, which is that emotions, you know, don't come from outside of us, right? They come from inside of us. They come mm-hmm. from the stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves and about what's happening in our lives. And so, you know, when you think that your happiness depends on a relationship because you think that's where it comes from, then of course you're going to want to put yourself in a relationship because all humans want to feel happy, right? And right. and what I was realizing and doing the work on myself to 
to kind of cement was that, no, actually, you know, my happiness doesn't come from anything outside of me. It really is an inside job. And how do I think in ways that make me feel happy and content and whole? How do I recognize that I am whole just as I am? And then if I want to be in a relationship, it becomes about what I want to give to someone. It becomes about experiences that I want to have as a human on the planet, but it doesn't become about, it's not needy or graspy. It doesn't feel like I'm dependent on finding a match because I'm like already my own champion and my own kind of match, if you will. Yeah. I like thinking about happiness as an inside job, like a bank heist. Totally. (laughs) Yeah. There's no guns involved, (laughs) but yes, it is an inside job. Totally. I mean, really like, and, but most of us, I think if you don't know that, especially when it comes to the loss of a spouse, if you're really happy in a relationship and then the, re- the person is taken from you or the relationship ends, then of course you're going to attribute your emotional satisfaction to the relationship and the person. Right. Right. I think yeah. I was also in a great position because my, sec- my first marriage didn't end so well. I knew what it was like to be miserable in a marriage. Mm. And, I, and, and so I knew what it was like to be with someone but incredibly lonely because oh. you've been there, right? Where there's someone yeah. next to you in the bed, but you feel like you're so you, all alone in the universe. You kind of had that point of reference of like, I don't want just anybody here with uh-uh. me. Uh-uh. And I also realized that, you know, I kind of bought into the the cultural messaging that I think most women, hopefully less and less these days, but you know, I was 40 when it happened. You, you buy into, okay, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to go to school. I'm supposed to get a job. I'm supposed to get married. I'm going to have a couple kids. I'm going to have a house and voila, like I will be happy. And I found myself in my mid thirties, like, wait, okay, <laughs> something is, <laughs> something is amiss, right? I think you're supposed to be happier than I currently feel. And and so I had to go through all of that stuff, right? And then I ended up in my second marriage. And so I just had a whole different perspective of like, it isn't the relationship that that makes your life joyful and full of meaning. It is, it, you have to do that for yourself. And then what do you want in a relationship? Yeah. And then it can make yeah. it so much more joyful and full of so much more meaning. Totally. Right. But it's, but it doesn't become about, you know, that Shel Silverstein book, The Missing Piece? Yeah, I love that. I yeah, love that. it doesn't become about like I have a missing piece and and you're my missing piece. It's like, no, I'm whole. I am a, I am complete. And I would love to be with another complete person, right? right? Who nobody's trying to fill a hole of anything. Yeah. Yeah, whole different vibe. A lot of people are wondering when you're starting to date again, how do you introduce your story mm, into yeah. the mix? Yeah, third date. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Like, you know, if, if there was a rule, I would, I would give it to you. But what I just find is that it's really just about what you're comfortable with, you know, and maybe why you want to introduce it. So I don't think there's a a right and a wrong. I don't think there's a particular amount of time. I don't think it's a problem if you hold your cards, you know, really close and, and, um, you know, not share that with someone until you feel a sense of trust. But, um, you know, what are you looking for in sharing that information? Right? Are you right. looking to be comforted? Are you looking to be consoled? Or are you just looking to be honest? Yeah. I think a lot of people worry and that – and I worry about this with bringing up that my dad died. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people worry that they're going to appear damaged to somebody yeah. else by sharing yeah. that truth about themselves. Yeah. My philosophy was like, I'm going to make it known really quick because my thought is if he can't hang, um, I'd rather know that sooner than later. But, But – but it's not like 
a pass or fail test necessarily either, right? I know I'm not damaged, right? Yeah. If, if if he's going to think that I'm damaged, then that's kind of on him, right? Yeah. And I'd rather I'd rather know that sooner than later. Or if he's going to have some, you know, jealous issues because, you know, Hugo's I didn't ask for him to die. He's always going to have a special place in my heart. I still talk about him. There's still pictures of him. You know, we we still celebrate his birthday, like that's never changing. And, and so for me, I just decided I don't want to date somebody who can't cope with that and, and who isn't secure enough in themselves to, to know that he will always have a space in my heart and in my life. Right. And that's not for everybody. Not everybody's there. Yeah. And that's something that actually came up in a lot of the questions too, is clarifying that, clarifying mm-hmm. mourning and then remembering as being different than being hung up on someone. Totally. Yeah. It's not about – because I think – and this speaks to just our general, um, you know, uh, all the all the myths that we have about grief that we buy into, like that we're supposed to move on. You know, we use that language a lot, which it's so inaccurate because you you don't move on. It's To move on would be to say that you, you know, it, it never happened or that you didn't care. You move forward, but – but that that life experience becomes part of the fabric of who you are and the way that you view the world. And so mm-hmm. you never move on from that. You just move forward with it. And it makes it a little challenging because nobody wants to talk about this stuff, you know, when when you're out there in the dating world and other people don't understand that. Right. And right. they expect that if you're talking about it, then it means that you're stuck, right? Or you you are you're not somehow you're not doing it right, which is just not at all true. Yeah. And I, I think you, you definitely want somebody who's going to hold space for it. I do, you know? for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think- Especially little, if you have kids. Well, right. And, and you know, especially if you have young kids, you know, I think that for me, for my mom with me and my brother, it's a little different because we're adults and, mm-hmm. you know, obviously we would still be upset if she decided to erase our dad from her memory, which she's obviously not doing. Yeah. But like not as much- like there's not as much tied to it as if your kids are still, you know, in the house, right. young. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, because you really do want to keep. I mean, you know, I can't speak for every widow in the world, but I think most of us really want to keep the memory of our spouse and you know their their father for, forefront, right? Because kids don't they want to hear about their other parent, right? Mm-hmm. And so how do we do that? It's through storytelling. It's through memory sharing. It's through photos. It's through videos. And you know, if you're gonna date someone and and they can't cope with that, they get jealous or make that mean something negative about you or make that mean that you don't love them enough, then it's probably not going to work. So for me, I just kind of wanted to know that up front. So I I literally had it in my profile. Oh, really? Yeah. What did it say? Oh, I I don't know. Just, you know, that I was a widow. I don't remember. But, you know, when I went out with um, Todd, who is my partner now, he had already, because I host a podcast, he had already Googled me, listened to my podcast, and (laughs) totally knew the story. And that really helped me because there was so much I didn't have to explain because he'd already gone out and, like, tried to educate himself, which I thought was beautiful. I hope none of my first dates listen to my podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, listen, you know, do you like like me or not? Because – that's who I want to be with, right? Yeah. No, that's very true. And I say that a lot about people say, you know, well, what if a guy doesn't like that you talk about your dating life Next. online? Like, well, yeah, he's not going to like me very much yeah. that's a thing I do. Right. And a thing right. that means a lot to me. Yes. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, so I am of the, of the, you know, the idea, like I would rather share more because I don't want to be liked for who someone thinks I am. I want to be liked for who I actually am. And how can they like me for who I actually am if I don't tell them who I actually right. am? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Speaking of kids, mm-hmm. we got a lot of questions asking about, you know, that dynamic. Do you have any tips for bringing a new partner around mm. kids? Yeah. Well, background checks. <laughs> Truly, I'm not kidding. No, um, that, that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> no, truly, yeah. And I think you just want to decide, you know, it, what do you want your philosophy to be? Do you want to meet? Do you want them to meet someone that you know you're just potentially kind of getting to know because you want your kid's opinion, or do you want to wait a little while and see if it's serious and then introduce them? You know, there's no right or wrong. I don't think. I just think you want to understand what do you want your philosophy to be right? And then like your reasons for it, because right. I don't think you can do it wrong. I, I had, I think, I don't know, three or four dates in probably is when my daughter met my boyfriend and, you know, she, she did the handshake check. Like she wanted to shake his hand and see if he had a firm handshake, firm and, handshake you yeah. know, did he give good eye contact and, um, you know, but at that point I felt good enough about him. You know, I wasn't uh-huh. saying, Hey, this is a person I've decided to be with. You know, I was honest and said, this is a person I'm interested in and I would like for you to meet him. And so she did. And you know, not that big of a deal, but that's not the case for everyone. Some kids are really going to be upset by it. And you know, you may want to, to wait a little bit longer if you think they're going to be super upset until you really are sure that it's somebody that you want them to meet. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I think it's it's one of those things where, like you said earlier, if there was a rule, I would give it to you. Yeah, I would have already written the book and printed it and, you know, just given every new widow a copy, but it's just right. not that simple. And then just been yeah. like sleeping on your millions of dollars because you made right. the rule and that's all just you got to do. Follow it. Yeah. And, you know, my kids were not at all troubled by my dating. They really weren't. I think they were a little worried about not getting time with me and maybe it cutting into time, but they didn't actively protest at all. And I never really sensed any, um, upset in them. And that's not the case for a lot of widows. There are a lot of kids out there who are really very upset about it. And, you know, it's okay. You know, to me, it's again, feelings aren't problems to be fixed. It's not, it's not something that you have created in them, right? If, if it was you, then every child would respond the same way and you might have multiple children and they all respond different ways. So, you know, can we just let them feel how they feel and not make it our problem to solve, but also not insist that they feel good about a decision that we're making. And speaking of that time, how, how do you balance that when, especially, you know, it's been now several years, let's say. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, your kids are used to a certain amount of your time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now you have this other endeavor that you're going to be devoting time to. What does that look like? How do you figure that out? For me, that's, you know, the kids come first. And if they, you know, I try to make sure that they get enough of me, right? So like, you know, last night my daughter wanted to watch TV. So I made her a priority and we watched Lock and Key (laughs) together. Um, but, but really at time, you know, it's just a matter of prioritizing, yeah. right? So what do you want your priorities to be? And then spend your time according to your priorities. So just because my priority is, is my children, that's not to say I'm right or wrong there. Somebody else's priority might be dating. That's, that's not my decision to make for them. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think that's true about, you know, anything that you're going to decide to do with your time. You know, when people yeah. talk about, oh, I don't have time for dating right now. Like you, you do. You're just choosing to spend your time doing other things, which is totally right. fine. That's your prerogative. Right. But let's but not be pretend honest. that we don't have the time. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I get a lot of, you know, when I do dating coaching, a lot of women will also tell themselves that they don't know how, right? And, and, and some of them have been in situations like your mom where they met their person at a very young age and they literally haven't dated as adults. Right. But I don't know how is never really true. I just think it's the fear brain, right? Trying to keep us safe and in the cave and not taking action. But we know how to date, right? You tell someone you're interested and you want to go out on a date. It's not yeah. hard, right? It's or scary. It's not- Right. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe it's not, I don't know how, but I don't want to learn how. Yeah, totally. Because I don't want to feel the feelings that come with the Mm -hmm. learning. Yeah. I'm not willing to be uncomfortable. And so I'll just usually then conveniently, my brain will convince me that it has something to do with time. Right. But it doesn't. Yeah. I have a program that I do through my coaching called Restart. Mm -hmm. That's for Mm -hmm. people who haven't dated in a long time, maybe never did online dating. And Mm. There is some I don't know how aspect to online dating because it's like this is an app that I've never seen before and sure yeah I don't know how to do this but the but right tech issues but like these people then said okay I don't know how to do this so I'm going to find someone who does and learn. yeah it's all about like I like to think you know if someone you care deeply about was was you know, really sick and you had to figure out how to get them to the hospital and you didn't have a car or, you know, you would figure it out. Right. Right. So, so you might initially not know how, but you wouldn't stop there. You would get your brain into problem solving mode and you would figure out how to make it happen, even if you didn't know, and you had to, you know, make some errors and do some research. And so I think dating is the same way that yes, maybe there are some parts about it that you have never done before, but when your commitment level is high, and it's a it's a priority for you, then you're absolutely willing to to take some action and figure it out as you go. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Have you encountered either yourself or with clients, people who've struggled to explain grief to their new partner? Maybe it's somebody who hasn't really experienced significant grief before? I don't know that I would say they struggle to explain grief as much as maybe kind of what we were talking about earlier, which is they may have trouble helping the other person understand the role of their late person in their lives currently. And that that isn't about um, not loving the person that they're currently dating, or it isn't about not moving forward or being stuck. It's really um, just grief, right? And so I think that can be an issue. I think sometimes grief grenades can maybe catch people off of guard um, so I, that's a term that I use. Maybe not everybody uses that term, but just, you know, sometimes when like my boyfriend and I went to Las Vegas last year and my car that I drove was a Toyota Camry and Hugo had a Durango and, th- and that's the car he was in the trunk trying to get in the trunk to get access to my tire, you know, when the uh-huh. accident happened. So the, my last vision of a Camry is not a vision anyone would ever want to have. Of, no. Right. So of course, what is the car? What is the Uber that picks us up at the airport? Right? They're all Toyota Camrys. Camry. Every single I know. Single and one. it's a silver one, exactly mm. like mine with the fin, like totally my car. And so, you know, we're getting out the luggage. We pop open the trunk. We're getting out the luggage. And I am just like total grief grenade, right? Mm-hmm. Which so for me is like, you know, getting teary and my heart's pounding. And I just, my brain has gone back to a place that is not at LAX, right? Right or whatever. That's not whatever the airport is anyway. Anyway, McCarran. So 
so that's not an experience that he can really relate to or understand, right? As a trigger like that. And mm -hmm. so sometimes I have to explain those kinds of things, right? Like this is what just happened for me. Or I just, you know, one time we were watching TV and I saw a CPR scene. Well, I watched them do CPR for like an hour in the hospital, you know? So it's, it's less triggering to me now, but it, when I saw that, it was really triggering to me. And so helping him explain, hey, it's not, you haven't done anything wrong. I'm not crying about something that happened with you. My brain just went back to a really traumatic memory for me. And that's what happened. And if, if you've never been there, then, you know, you wouldn't really know. So sometimes I find we have to explain that. Yeah. I find myself explaining grief cycles a lot mm. where most of the time I feel fine. Mm -hmm. and But sometimes – grief grenades, I love that phrase, by the way. I'm going to start using it. Grief grenades aside, because that does happen where something specific mm -hmm. will trigger me. There are other times, though, where there are just certain days that I wake up and I'm just like, eh. Yeah. Today Do you not find that great. they're particular days or – No. No. Just They're random. Days. Yeah. I actually find that they don't happen on the days that you would think mm, they would. Interesting. So like his death anniversary, I felt yep. this year, I felt totally fine. Mm -hmm. Like holidays, I actually felt pretty okay. Mm -hmm. It'll just be like, I don't know, maybe I had a dream about him and I don't remember yep. that dream or something. But there are just certain days where I wake up and I'm like, you know what? I'm pretty sad about my dad today. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like there's rhyme or reason. So how would they understand? Yeah. Right. And yeah, so- Because we barely know, understand. I have no idea. Zero yeah. clue. Yeah. But yeah. like explaining that, you know, when, well, I thought you were over it. No one's ever said those words to me, just to mm -hmm. be clear. But like, good. Uh, me, me too. Like, I, <laughs> you know, and like yeah. generally I am. But, you know, over it is never a phrase I use. I, like you said, it's something that yeah. I now am able to live with comfortably. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For the most doubt. part. Um, yeah, you adapt. But I think that that cycle where it's not it's not linear. Totally. And I think that people who haven't experienced significant loss don't understand the nonlinear way that it works. Right. Yeah. And I think I don't know about you, but all I knew about was the five stages of grief. Yeah, that was I, that was the only grief theory I'd ever heard, and I definitely didn't understand, you know, that that was originally about hospice patients. I, <laughs> you know, it's not it. So so oftentimes, you know, I will draw it for people, at which I I've seen it a few times. So it's not not just me that came up with this, but you know, we want it to be this nice, like you said, linear progression. When really, you know, maybe we move from point A to to some other point, but it's really just like this big squiggly line of mess and. And that's actually normal. That doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. That's just the experience of grief that it is a bit unpredictable and sometimes very roller coaster ish. And that's just it, right? That's just the way of it. But again, if all we ever talk about is the five stages of grief, then of course people are like, well, I don't know. Are you angry enough? Did you get angry? Are you sure? Maybe you should be angry. Or I think this is just the part of your grief where you get angry. And it's not at I'm all. Like, no. No, no. Yeah. And then yeah. once. It's not like once acceptance starts that that's the only thing that happens from here on out. Right. Then we're good. Right. Yeah. We've accepted because it. So we're good. To your point, I, I didn't know this either until I lost my dad and started researching grief and whatnot. Mm -hmm. I didn't know either that it was originally applied to hospice yeah. patients. And then yeah. it makes sense that nothing happens after acceptance because then they die. Then you die. Right. Yeah. So you accept it and then nothing. And then the end. Right, but yeah. it wasn't meant it wasn't meant for living with grief. Yeah. Yeah. Totally.
totally. But, you know, again, it just kind of speaks to if we could talk more about grief as a culture, if we also didn't sell happiness as the perpetual goal of life, which I, yeah. I just don't believe that it is, you know, and we, we talked more about living a rich, you know, varied life with the full range of human emotions and that that's what it's supposed to be, then, you know, when other people are sad, maybe they're grieving a loss and maybe they're not, but we wouldn't be so worried about it. Right. We wouldn't right. be trying to fix it because we wouldn't see it as a problem. We would just see it as part of being human. Hmm. Yeah. I like that, that feelings aren't problems we need to fix. Yeah. That, that right there changed my whole damn life. Yeah. That's great. So on the other side of this, you know, we've talked about if your partner isn't somebody who's been through grief and, you know, let's say that you're that person. We actually got a lot of questions from that mm. person's perspective, which you're dating just, someone. Yeah. Yeah. It warms yeah. my heart, by the way, to see all those questions, to just know that there are all these people out there Aww. who mm -hmm. are so wanting to be supportive of a grieving partner that they're asking these questions. So shout out to it. you people. Um, but so starting at the very beginning stages, you know, as you mentioned, like when you're grieving, you don't want to be out there dating if what you're just trying to do is fill a void. Mm -hmm. Is there... Do you have any tips for discerning if that's what's happening, if you are on the other side of it? So if someone is dating you and you're kind of wondering if they're trying to fill a void with you? Yeah. Like how do you kind of know if they're ready to date? <clears throat> yeah. I think, well, I mean, you know, you're not psychic, so <laughs> you're probably sure, not going to yeah. know totally. But And they might not even know themselves. But I think if you're, if you're sensing like a needy graspiness about mm -hmm. it, right, where – you, you kind of notice that they don't believe they can be okay without you, right? Or, um, you know, maybe not and, – and I, I hate to use timelines as a rule. I really do because I think some people are really ready to date very soon after a loss. But sometimes it, you can spot it that way, right, where you can see not much time has passed and all of a sudden they're trying to find a parental figure or a partner figure to stick in the holes. Right. Um, Sometimes you'll see it show up in parenting problems where, you know, they aren't confident that they can handle the parenting aspect of things. And if they have children, then you, know, you can kind of tell that they're trying to fit you into that role because they don't believe they can handle it. Um, so that, that could be a red flag too. Yeah. 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 I had a one client tell me that for her, it was kind of trial and error. Mm -hmm. Like she thought she was ready. Yeah. Went on a date and then realized kind of like you said, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like I yeah, I don't want to be here right now. And luckily for the person that she was going on a date with, she realized that fairly quickly. So it wasn't mm -hmm. any sort of long drawn out thing where the person she was going out with was, you know, really hurt in any way. But it yeah. could be. Well, and I don't, you know, I don't think we ought to worry too much about that. I think if you want to try it, try it, and then you'll know, right? You'll have more data, and then you can make a different decision. If it feels right to you, great. If it doesn't feel right to you, you'll know. You know, it's the same thing with sex. We worry a lot about that too, right? Having sex with someone the first time. Well, okay, you know, you can head down that path, and you can always change your mind. And even if you do, and then you later decide you weren't ready for it, you don't have to beat yourself up over it. You can still be kind to yourself. And so- you know, sometimes just more data is what we need to help us decide if we're ready. Yeah. I mean, personally, I think more data is always what we need in any situation. So yeah, I love that We learn advice. by doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So more about being that person who mm. is dating someone who's lost someone, how do you hold space but and not try to replace that person? Like where, yeah. where's that balance? 
Yeah. Okay. So going back to the feelings aren't problems thing, I think that is key, right? So if you, if you can get yourself to the place where you realize that someone can express an emotion in front of you, an, a quote unquote negative one, mm. and you don't see it as a problem, you will not be so uncomfortable with it and you will not try to fix it. And the last thing someone who has lost someone wants you to do is to try to make them feel better. They, mm. they do not want you to try to fix their feelings. You want someone who is willing to be with you as you have them right? Who's willing to witness your experience, not try to change your experience. But that only happens when we start realizing, okay, their feelings are their feelings. I didn't cause them. And negative feelings don't mean they're broken or something's wrong. It's all a part of being human. It's definitely a part of grief. And my job isn't to try to take it away, right? Or make it mean anything. My, my goal is just to, to be there with them as they have that part of their experience. And that's, you know, holding space. At least that's the phrase that I use for that, right? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, it seems like the elephant in the room, but most people who are supporting someone in grief or dating someone in grief, I think the worry is, well, I don't want to bring it up because it'll probably make them sad and I don't want yeah. them to be sad, so I just won't bring it up. But I, I'm guessing you probably have this experience too where it's not something that's not in the forefront of your mind, right? And for sure in your mother's, right? She's thinking yeah. about it. And so it's actually typically a relief to the person who is grieving to have someone else talk to them about their loved one, even if you're dating. It's actually kind of a relief. Like, so when Todd will ask me about Hugo, that's a relief to me. I like it when he asks me because then I don't have to be the one that brings it up, right? Yeah. If I know it's hard to do. If No, but- it's that's so relatable to me though because I – I don't, and I, we talked. We did a whole episode about dating after loss, and where mm. I talked a lot about my experience. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a long time ago. Then now, though, so a lot of our listeners probably didn't, haven't heard it. Um, but I, on that episode, talked about how I don't want to be the dead dad girl. Mm. Like I don't want to be, you know, that to feel like that's all I'm talking about, or to burden mm-hmm. other people and make them feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I agree. Having somebody else bring it up, yeah. Is, is a relief. And, you know, they're not bringing it up in a like, oh, is that making you sad? Right. Like, how, are you, how are you really doing? Right. Like how are you really feeling? Like you must yeah. be thinking about it right now, right? Like that – it's not like that. No. Yeah. But, you know, I I like when somebody that I'm dating or anybody asks me questions about my dad or mm-hmm. – Yeah. It, it keeps yeah. And then the, you know, then the door is open. Me. Yeah. The door is open. You can share what you want to share. If you don't want to share anything, you don't have to. But, right. you know – you. We don't need to worry so much about upsetting a person or reminding them of it because chances are they're already thinking about it and they're just relieved to know that they're not the only ones and that you're actually interested enough to ask. So, you know, yeah. And making space for it too, you know. So there's always going to be photos in my house. So are you okay with that? Like, you know, Um, and and maybe if there are no photos, maybe you want to ask, right? Because maybe they think you're not okay with it. Yeah. Maybe maybe they hid those. Maybe they hid those photos because you came over. Right. And so you can always offer, hey, I just want you to know that I'm totally okay with, you know, not no pressure. If you don't want photos out, no pressure. But if you want them out, like I'm not offended at all. I don't see that as threatening. I see that as a part of your past and I love you and I love your whole past. Right. I love everything that's happened to you made you you. And that's why I love you. Right. Mm. So, so that's part of you. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, I think I, I think about that a lot when I'm in my childhood home because my dad is everywhere. Mm. 
and I've I've thought before him and and he's also like literally in the home still. Mm, okay. Yes. Got it. I'm <laughs> so, with you. Yeah. So like that I, that has occurred to me of you know like mm-hmm. somebody is going to have to be okay with yeah. the fact that there are all these photos everywhere and my brother and I would never want our family photos to be gone. And my mom oh. wouldn't want it either just to be clear, but Yeah. No, not at all. And like if in you know if you decide to get married, right? You you're probably going to want him to have some something to do with that occasion, right? So the mm-hmm. big things that come in your life, like that's always going to be a part of your life. And so for, you know, if if you're somebody's wanting to date your mother, it's it's going to be an easier experience cuz she's going to want to support you and of course then, you know, them supporting her means them supporting him. Yeah. Now yeah. I'm going to cry. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My, just- thinking about my wedding is a – I'm going to use the word trigger but not in a bad way. Yeah. It's It's like a very emotional – my dad had a whole um, – in a very uh, – we are in the 21st century move. My dad wrote each of us Google Docs throughout – he was sick for a long time. Okay, um, okay. And so for like six years. And he okay. wrote – me, my brother, my mom, and his sister, Google Docs throughout his illness where he like journal entried. We mm-hmm. didn't know – maybe my mom did, but I didn't know that they existed oh, until wow. he gave them to us um, like shortly before he died. And part of my Google Doc and evidently part of both my mom's and my brother's, though I have not seen them, are extremely explicit instructions about my wedding day. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I and about that. how, you know, who he wants my brother to walk me down the aisle and, you know, he wants – about my first dance and they're they're very specific. I love your dad. Yeah, me too. Um, you know your dad and I love your dad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but like that matters to you. It matters yeah. to your family, right? And so if you, you, if you want to be with someone, then what they care about, you care about, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And it's not a threat. No. That your dad is going to be part of your wedding in his own oh. way. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, ooh, didn't think I was going to cry. I <laughs> Sorry, really I know. This, this is – this is. that's why I – when you said people were excited that I was coming on the podcast, <laughs> do they know what we're going to talk about? We're talking about it's, grief, people. Excited maybe is the wrong word, but like – I actually don't think it's the wrong word. I do think yeah. people were legitimately excited because I think yeah. – I think you're right. I think we don't talk about grief enough as a society. People don't see it normalized. They don't see it talked about like, you know, like you said, you're not broken. You can be a whole person and be grieving. Yeah. And I think, I think people were excited about that, that like, that, you know, we're, let's normalize it. Yeah. We're normalizing it. Yeah. Let's normalize it. it. Let's normalize it because it doesn't have to be, we don't have to be so awkward around each other. And dating doesn't have to be so awkward if, you know, your person has lost a person, but only after we have these valuable conversations. Yeah. And normalize it all. And so one more question that our listeners had about dating somebody who has been through loss in that way, how do you balance support for them with your own needs? Hmm. Um, do you have an example? Was there was there anything specific? So, like, I can I can think of on you know. Let's say that this is just an example from my own life. Let's say that your partner is having a you know a grief grenade or mm-hmm. a you know some or they're you know having a a shitty day relative to the, to their grief, mm-hmm. and you are also in significant need in some mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. 
how do you kind of balance that and not make it feel like for you it has to be a trump card? Mm, yeah. I think that's a lot about – it's about communication, right? Like transparency of, hey, here's mm. what's going on for me. And, you know, it's not that I don't want to be fully present and supportive to you, but like, you know, here's here's where I am. I'm really struggling to support myself today. And, and just kind of letting that be clear and, and open and honest. Um, and then also it's about, you know, being emotionally mature enough to understand that whatever's going on with you emotionally – and I don't say this to be mean, but is yours to fix, is, is yours to attend to, really not to fix, you're not broken, but is yours to attend to. And so um, your your partner can witness that for you. Your partner can be, can be there for you and be with you, but we can't dump it on each other, right? right? Because your partner didn't cause it and they can't change it. They can be with you as you do your own work, but we both have to kind of stay in our own swim lane in terms of accepting responsibility for what's going on with ourselves and not looking to the other to fix something that would is an unfair ask. Yeah. I think that's really great advice because I think I think a lot of people could I could see people thinking that well I can't have any needs because this mm. person needs so much. Yeah. And yeah, then that, you end up, you know, losing yourself. Right. Totally. Yeah. So, so being honest, but then also accepting responsibility for what is your work versus, you know, we, we just can't expect other people to do our own inner work. It, it isn't fair. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think that just kind of circles back to what we were saying about not dating to fill a void, because if you haven't done the inner work on yourself to understand how you can attend to your own needs and you're just looking for somebody else to fulfill yeah, all of them. Totally. It's not going to work out. It's not going to work at all. And it's not going to be any fun. No. No, it sounds yeah. terrible actually. And a lot of times that people come to me, they've learned that the hard way. They've gone through and sometimes they've even mm. gotten remarried and divorced, you know, and they realize, oh, wait, there's actually some stuff I didn't deal with. And it, I had to go and have this other experience to see that it was work that was still left for me to do. And now I see it. Now I see that the only way around that is, is through it and I'm ready to do it. And maybe they just weren't ready before or didn't have the awareness before. That's okay too. Yeah. That's yeah. absolutely. It'll, it'll I mean, wait. Whatever is there for us to work through, it's going to keep showing itself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of like we said about the trial and error thing, you know, like if you tried it and it didn't work out, then – Precisely. Maybe try something different. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. So speaking of that, Krista, let us know, let our listeners know how they can find you if they've sure. come to this realization. Yeah. So the Widowed Mom podcast is my podcast. So anybody who's interested in grief, even if you're not a widowed mom, like if you're interested in grief or post-traumatic growth or any of the feeling stuff that I talk about, absolutely love to have them uh, listen to the podcast. And then website is Coaching with Krista super simple because nobody can spell St. Germain, which is my last <laughs> name. So we just coaching with Krista and then all of my social links and everything are there. So yeah. Amazing. And of course, we'll tag you in the show notes and in all of our posts. And so make it super easy. Well, thank you so much for having me on. And thank you so much for being so honest about your own, you know, grief experience. No, this was incredible. And not not, not really just for me, it. but it's, it's really a service to your listeners, right? right. Oh, well. Thank yeah. you. I'm just crying on air. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll never be on the on the podcast again. Yeah, right? like, I'm never inviting her back. She makes her me back. cry. This lady made me cry. 
Uh, no, but I really appreciate you, Krista. And thank no, you so totally. much. Totally my pleasure. Thanks for having me.